Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Bible studies. Good to see you all uh, on this Wednesday. I've had a hectic week. Pray for your pastor. <laughs> I need it. Uh, sometimes we have those weeks, so uh, just just pray for him. We got a lot going on. Um, I so good to see you, Daniel. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, we're uh, in the ninth chapter. We're going to try to cover nine and part of ten. Uh, we'll see how far we get. We had a good study in, in chapter eight last week. Um, God called them to remember him when they uh, prosper in the land. Uh, that was the primary, uh, that was the big idea of that section. And uh, tonight, uh, God is going to remind them that they're, conquest of the land is not because of their righteousness and what he's going to do is go over uh, their rebellion in the wilderness with them to to uh, to humble them and to remind them that their conquest is not going to be done because of anything uh, that is righteous within them but because of him and his righteousness and his faithfulness to um his covenant that he made with them. So that's kind of what we're looking at uh, tonight. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Excuse me, Father. Lord, thank you for this evening. Thank you for those who are here and those who are watching. Bless our time in your word. Lord, refresh us by your word. Sanctify us by your word. Um, by the means of the spirit, Lord, plant your truth in our heart so that we may live by it. May we see Christ tonight in this word. May we see the gospel. And Lord, may we learn more about you so that we may know how to live before you in light of your glory. In Christ's name, amen. So God in this chapter, as I said, he is dealing with, uh, he, he's warning Israel against self-righteousness. And um, that is a reminder to all of us that uh, we too can become self-righteous when we accomplish certain things in life or just going through life period as as believers that we can be prone to uh, self-righteousness, which is basically pride. So we're going to look at uh, this these chapters uh, section by section. So we're going to read the first five verses and then uh, exposit uh, that and then we'll go on to the next few reading from the ESV here it says here O Israel you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in to dispossess nations greater and mightier than yourselves cities great and fortified up to heaven a people great and tall the sons of Anakim whom you know and of whom you have heard it said who can stand before the sons of Anak know therefore today that he who goes before you as a, as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has promised you. And here's the warning. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. 
whereas it is because of the wickedness of those nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going into possess their land but because of the wickedness of these nations the Lord your God is driving them out from before you and that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob so in the previous passage as I just said uh, in chapter 8 Moses concern was the people would forget Yahweh and take credit for their own uh, prosperity you see that in the first uh, beginning of um, chapter 8 where God tells them uh, basically he humbled you and let you anger and fed you with manna that you did not know and uh, I'm reading that chapter 8 verse 3 nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man should not live by bread alone but by every word that uh, comes from the mouth of the Lord that the clothing did not wear out that God disciplined them the Lord is bringing them to a good land and he described that land uh, to them in verses 7 through uh, 10. And then he said in verse 11, take heed lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. So uh, the previous section, Moses called them to not forget the Lord. And so now in this text, the issue is not about them forgetting, but they would attribute whatever good they do to their own goodness and their own righteousness and so uh, or, or to their own worthiness and God is going to remind them <laughs> no it is not because of your righteousness but it is because of the wickedness of those uh, nations and so Moses uh, wanted to remind this uh, the people of this and as I was studying this passage this week you know we're reading through the book of Joshua also uh, those who are reading along with me and uh, we're, we're in the section of Joshua where all the the tribes are receiving their allotment of land. And I know in chapter, uh, I think, what's the 18th? In chapter 18, uh, and I read 18, I went on to read 19. You'll see at the end of each chapter where uh, those people did not drive out all the Canaanites from their land like they were supposed to. And that's going to play later in, in the book of Joshua and into the book of Judges that they did not completely dispossess those uh, nations like they uh, were supposed uh, to do so it's not because of their worthiness because because they're not and so Moses also we're going to see in this chapter that he interceded for them so what the Lord does here in the opening it says three things here looking at verse three know therefore today that he goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God so it is God going uh, before them and it's three things in here that I that I note um, first of all these nations are going to be subdued by God in order for Israel to uh, be able to defeat them God is going to go before them so you notice three things here in verse three. First of all God says that it is him who is crossing over is he going behind them with them or before them he's going before them and when you read the book of Joshua the opening uh, chapters you'll see what God is saying uh, be strong and courageous for I am with you I'm going to go before you okay and not only will he go before them as a consuming fire he will also do what destroy them 
<coughs> and then he would do what? Subdue them. He will humble them. So God is going before them. And as he goes before them, he's going to destroy them and he's going to subdue them. And this is going to make it easy for Israel to conquest the land. He says, so that you may drive them out and destroy them quickly as the Lord uh, has spoken to you. So what this shows us is that God has the power to consume those who in some ways withstand him. God has the power to consume all of his enemies and he will do that. He's doing that now and all of the enemies of God will be put under his feet. That's what this is a, a foreshadowing of. All the enemies of the Lord's people even now in our day. Guess what? One day they're going to be they're, they're going to be under God's uh, footstool. God is going to destroy the enemies of his people. That's something that we as believers since this is a reality, just as for Israel, God had already given them this land. He already said that I've given them over to you. We saw that many times in this book already and also in the book of uh, Exodus and Numbers as they were um, wandering out in the wilderness. God still promised them that he had given this land to them. So since they had that promise, all they had to do was go in and possess. So they had the confidence to know that the battle is already already won, right? And so when we look at the spiritual battles that we face in our life, we already know that God goes where? God goes before us. That God has already won these victories. The victory over sin, the victory over the power of sins. Not that we're never going to sin, but sin ultimately has no dominion over us. Why? Because we're in Christ. Christ defeated sin. He defeated death. So we walk from that reality. We walk from that position that Christ has defeated the power of sin in the life of the believer. And because of that, we're confident that sin will not consume us. That sin will not destroy us. Sin destroys those who are not in Christ. But sin doesn't consume us. We're no longer slaves to sin. Why? Because Christ subdued that enemy he subdued that enemy of sin by doing what nailing, them, nailing our sins to the cross he put that to death he subdued the enemy of death death where's your sting grave where's your victory so we don't have to fear what death because Christ defeated death how did he defeat death by raising from the dead and because he rose, guess what? We're going to rise. So we have the hope that death is not it. That we're not just going to go to the great nothing or the great beyond. <laughs> no. So all this that we see God promising. Remember, uh, the promised land is a picture of heaven. All this that we see, God is paving the way for them to do what? Enter the promised land. Christ did the same for us. He paved the way by defeating our enemies spiritual and mortal enemies so that we can walk with confidence in knowing that God has already won the battle for us isn't that great to know when you go into a, a, a battle and you already know that that is won you have extra spring in your step it's almost like if, if you're going
when a you know little five year old kid comes up to you and say, "I'm gonna beat your butt," and you just like, "Boy, please," you know, you got all the confidence in the world because you know that you know that little kid ain't gonna do nothing to me, you know. You you have that confidence because you know the battle is already what it's already won. So God is the one who consumes those who uh, withstand Him. And this was going to take place against the inhabitants of uh, the land. And Israel is going to come in to dispossess them. And the focus of this, these verses is on God's action. It is all about God. The focus is always on him. And he's giving them the land in fulfillment of his promise. And because he is doing this, what does he say to them in verse 4? Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you. It is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me to possess this land. But it is because of what the wickedness of those nations that the Lord is driving them out. And he repeats it again. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart. Are you going to possess their land? But because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. And that he may confirm the word that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So God is keeping them what? Humble. He alluded to the sin of pride that lurks in our hearts look at chapter 8 verse 17 same thing beware lest you do what say in your heart <clears throat> my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth God is humbling them Israel it's not because you're righteous and he's going to recall that unrighteousness that they uh uh, you know show in the in the wilderness pride always begins in the heart we talked about that last week and we always have to be reminded of that pride begins in the heart always and the reason why this is uh they have to be reminded of this is because especially in the ancient world uh usually victory in battle was regarded uh because of the righteousness of the nation or in the eyes of the pagan gods you know, the, the, the nations, the, the pagan nations that went to battle, uh, when they did win, they attributed it to like their gods smiling on them. You know, the gods must be on our side. You know that you hear people say that sometimes even in our uh, culture, they'll say, oh, the basketball gods or the football gods or whatever, the, the, the gods uh, are on them. You know, the blessings of the gods, the pagan gods, that's who who they're talking about. But Israel is warned away from such things because that's what that's the way the pagans start. Remember, Israel's in the midst of who? Pagans. They're in the midst of pagan nations. But they are a called out nation. They are the elect nation of God that God chose out of all the nations uh, of the earth. He chose them. So they are amongst all these pagan nations that they're going to have to dispossess. They are the light among all these pagans. So God is saying, no, this is not you're not going to be like the pagan uh, pagan nations and uh, give your attribution to the gods. No, you're going to get the victory because your God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, Yahweh, 
That is why you're going to dispossess these lands. So we have to understand that context there, that that's what they thought. And so God was punishing them because of their wickedness. Now, this is the thing. Their wickedness does not imply Israel's righteousness. And that's what God was saying to them. Because, yeah, those wicked people, well, you're just as wicked yourself. <laughs> you know, you're not so righteous and so holy, Israel. But it is because of their wickedness. But that does not imply because they're wicked that you're righteous. That's very humbling. That's very humbling. And so that is what God is going to uh, set up. So why is he giving them this land? In order to fulfill his promise to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Now this raises another question. Why did God promise this to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That goes back to the doctrine of what? Election. God chose them because he what? He chose them. That was his sovereign will to choose Abraham. It was his sovereign will to call Abraham as we read in uh, Genesis 12 at age 75 uh, out of uh, Ur it was God who in his sovereign will for his purposes he called this man Abram he could have called anyone else at that time he was Abram but God could have called whomever he wanted to but he chose who Abram he chose Abram and he chose Isaac as opposed to Ishmael to be uh, the son of uh, promise. And he chose Jacob instead of who? Esau. He chose the younger. Remember uh, the Lord told Rebekah. Two nations are in your womb. And the younger. Uh, the older will serve the younger. Which is, was totally out of order. For that, uh, for that context. Usually the older brother who will serve. Not the younger. But he, uh, God told Rebekah. That two nations are, are in your womb. Okay, and so who did God choose through even his own conniving? God chose Jacob because he chose Jacob. Although Jacob was deceptive in in in, in getting the uh, blessing of inheritance from his brother by uh, Esau selling his birthright, but that was still in the plan of God for that uh, to happen. So God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he chose them. So. That's always a mystery beyond human understanding. So that's why we don't we don't sit around and pontificate on why God chose to make a covenant with them. He did it because he did it. Uh, the Bible says our God is in heaven and he does whatever uh, pleases him. I think that's Psalm 115 and 2. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, I know it's it may be Psalm 115, but I know it says our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. So it was pleasing to God to choose Abraham and to choose Isaac and to choose Jacob and to uh, call a nation out of them. So then we transition to <laughs> verse 6. Now, this is like a big slap in the face, right? Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm kicking these nations out because they're wicked. Now look at verse 6. Know therefore that the Lord your God has not given you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. First he focused on the unrighteousness of the pagans. Now he's going to focus on Israel's 
unrighteousness and rebellion. For you are a stubborn people or stiff-necked. Remember and do not forget. <laughs> so from here we go into the narrative of the wilderness. God is reminding them of their wickedness. He's going to revisit the golden calf in, as it is uh, chronicled in Exodus 32. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. So they've been rebellious for 40 years. That's a big smackdown. That's coming off the top rope right there. Even at Horeb, you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he was ready to destroy you. Hmm. When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, this is Moses uh, speaking as the intercessor and the mediator. The tablets of the covenant that the Lord made with you, I remained in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water, and the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, written with the finger of God and on them were the uh, words that the Lord has spoken with you on the mountain in the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly in the 40 days uh, the, uh, verse 12 then the Lord said to me arise go down quickly from here for your people whom you have brought from Egypt have acted corruptly they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them they have made themselves a metal image so what is God showing them Look how quickly you forget your own rebellion. You can't look at the wickedness of those nations. They were a stiff-necked people. And this is what God was showing him. So basically Moses just pricked the balloon and popped the, that balloon of, 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 as we would say, self-esteem to reveal their character. You know, the Lord has a way of humbling us the same way. If we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, we can see our unrighteousness. We can see our sin. We can point out others' sins and we fail to see ours. We can see the tiny prick in our brother's eye, but not the log that is in ours. And God has a way of humbling us and showing us our, our weakness. But he doesn't do it to destroy us. He, he does us. He does to us to humble us and to remind us our need for him. And that's what he's doing with Israel here. Stripping them of all of their self-righteousness. And in a salvific way, that is the only way a person can truly repent and come to God when they see their need for a savior. A person can't come to God if they're self-righteous. If they think they're a good person, they think, you know, I got it all together. You know, as if God is doing or as if they're doing God a favor. <laughs> no, God, you have to be stripped of what all your self-righteousness. Jesus said himself that, uh, no man can follow me unless he first what? Denies himself. You have to deny yourself worth. You're, you're worth in who you think you are. 
You have to humble yourself. You have to deny yourself. Deny who you think you are in the eyes of God. And then take up your cross and follow him. So Moses testifies against them about their um, about their evil, about their their sins. And this is meant in a way to humble them. So God is showing them that they still have the covenant privileges, but it is despite their history of provoking him. He was still faithful to him because remember, you have to go back and tie this together. Back at verse five, that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And then he goes into their rebellion to show them that despite your rebellion, I made a promise to your fathers. And I'm going to do what? Keep it. So from the day you left Egypt until you arrived, you'll be rebellious against the Lord. And you were rebellious against the Lord. And how were they rebellious? They made the golden calf. They provoked him at Horeb. And this required the intercession of Moses. So verse 8 again says, Even at Horeb you provoked the Lord to wrath, and the Lord was so angry with you that he would have destroyed you. And God had every right to do so, right? He had every right to destroy these people. Let's turn back to Exodus 32 right quick just as a refresher. To see the uh, this this situation, Exodus thirty-two is where we find this. Just skip it through here, verse one. The people uh, saw that Moses had delayed coming down because remember he was up there for forty days and forty nights, and they went to Aaron. Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And so Aaron told them, Aaron sinned, told them, take off the rings of gold, take off everything. And they melted the gold down. And they had a feast before the Lord. Verse 6 says, They rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And then the Lord said to Moses in verse 7, Go down, for your people whom you brought to the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They turn aside quickly, so forth and so on. Saying, These are your gods of Israel who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, let my wrath burn hot against them. So this is where God wants to destroy them. And he has every right to do so. But this is where Moses, the intercessor, verse 11, Moses implored the Lord, his God. Oh, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and from out of hand? Why should the Egyptians say with the even he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them before the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember who? Abraham, Isaac. And Jacob or Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven 
and it's all land that I promised you I would give it to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he spoke of bringing on his people. So that was the uh, what, what God is uh, recounting, what Moses is recounting uh, with them that we see in Deuteronomy. So Moses interceded because the Lord was angry with him that he would destroy them. So verse 13, we see the stick neck people again. Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out the name from under heaven. And I'll make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. And that's when he turned and came down the mountain. So he's basically calling what we just read. Verse 16, I looked and behold, you have sinned against the Lord. So we're getting an, an account from Moses that was not uh, shown in Exodus 32. So we're seeing um, Moses recounting his, it from his perspective. Uh, what happened so we're seeing more detail in this passage than it gives in in the book of Exodus and of course in verse 17 he did uh, break those tablets then he lay prostrate before the Lord as before 40 days 40 nights and uh, verse 19 for I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you so that he was ready to destroy you but the Lord listened to me that time also so because that wasn't the first time that Moses had to uh, intercede the Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him and I prayed for Aaron also at the same time then I took the sinful thing the calf he made and burned it with fire and crushed it grinding it very small until it was as fine as dust and I threw the dust of it into the brook that ran down from the mountain so Moses here was recounting their rebellion and God's graciousness and faithfulness to his covenant that he made with their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because again, God could have destroyed all two or three million of those people and started over. He's sovereign. He could have done that. But he did not do that. So with Moses recounting this to Israel. They see how wicked they really were. How unrighteous they actually are. That you're so unrighteous that you provoked Yahweh to destroy you. After bringing you out of Egypt. Out of, out of uh, what 400 years of slavery as a nation. Destroying Pharaoh and his chariots in the Red Sea. Walking through the Red Sea dry shod. Destroying Pharaoh and his chariots. And you come out here into the desert and you provoke that same God. That's very unrighteous and stiff-necked. So he is showing them their unrighteousness. And then he continues, as I say, wait, there's more. So in verse 22 here, it says at Taborah also and at Massah and at Kabrath, I don't know what the H word is, uh, Hatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And when the Lord sent you 
uh, from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and take possession of the land that I have given you. Then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord and did not believe him or obey his voice. This was in Numbers 13 and Numbers 14 when the, the spies went out into uh, to spy out the land of 12 spies and only uh, Joshua and, Cain, and Caleb came back with a, a positive report. So Israel had rebelled against them then. And that's when the uh, older uh, tribes, the ones above 20, not the older tribes, but the ones above 20 were punished. He says, you have rebelled against the Lord your God from that, from the day that I knew you. Man, Moses. <laughs> Man, woof. Moses dealt with them for how long? 40 years. The last 40 years of his life, because he was 80. I think, yeah, the last 40 years of his life, he, he, he dealt with these people. So he's... <laughs> From day one, yes, basically. <laughs> so, anyway, this is showing their rebelliousness and their stubbornness. So, verse 25 says, So I lay prostrate before the Lord for those 40 days and 40 nights, because the Lord has said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin. Lest the land from which you brought them say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he promised them. And because he hated them, he has brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. For they are your people and your heritage whom you brought out by your great power and by your outstretched arm. I see in that prayer the gospel in this sense. All of us who are in Christ were at one time under the wrath of God. The Bible says we were children of wrath. We were children of darkness. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that we were dead in our trespasses we were dead. We were spiritually dead. And what did God do in order to provide us a way to be saved, a way to be right with him? He sent us his son, Jesus Christ, to bear that wrath that was designed for us. Just as Moses as the intercessor in the wilderness. Remember, Moses is a picture of Christ as priest, prophet, and king. And Moses interceded for Israel to stave off the wrath of God. That was th their just punishment. Just as the wrath of God is our just punishment. But Christ bore the full wrath of God on the cross. Moses, as a type, bore the wrath of God by doing what? Interceding on behalf of God's people. Lord, don't destroy them because Egypt is going to say, you brought them out in this wilderness to die. 
he appealed to the righteousness of God. He appealed to the grace and the mercy of God. He appealed to the faithfulness of God. Jesus in the cross appealed to the mercy of God against us sinners. So when we see this intercession of Moses, we see Christ. We see the gospel. We see Christ interceding for us. And Christ still intercedes for us. Those of us who are his own. The Bible says we are one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. He intercedes for us through the mediation of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us with moanings and groanings that cannot be uttered. The third person of the of the Trinity. Christ is our high priest. He's doing what? Interceding for us. He's pleading our righteousness before the Father as our enemy accuses us. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. I think that's in Revelation 12. As Satan accuses us, the scripture says, who can lay a charge against the elect? That's in Romans 8. No one can lay. Just, just think about that. Why can no one lay a charge against us? Because we are in Christ. Who can lay a charge against the elect? No one. Not even Satan himself. Why? Because Christ intercedes for us. He is in intercession right now. He's in session. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And so we see this in Moses. Though Moses is a, is a sinner, it is a, it is a picture. Look at verse 27. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sins. When we're in Christ, we do sin and we confess and we repent of our sins. But God does not regard our sin against us. Why? Because we are justified. We are declared not guilty before the Lord. When God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ credited to our account. That's why our sins don't condemn us. They convict us. We're convicted of sin, but we're not condemned because of our sins. And Moses himself as intercessor was, was saving them from the condemnation, the damnation that sin brings, that their sin brought them. And I love that verse 29. They are your people and your heritage. Man, that is that is great. And we, we have the same blessings. We we are heirs and we're co-heirs with Christ. We're all heirs. And we're co-heirs with Christ. We have that spiritual inheritance. And in this prayer of Moses. Moses expresses his understanding uh, and, and, and his knowledge of God. He understands the justice of God balanced with the mercy of God. And what did Moses appeal to? He appealed to God's mercy. And he was very bold in his prayer. Why was Moses' prayer bold? Because 
How dare he approach God and tell God to turn away his wrath from his people? It took a lot of boldness to do that. To turn aside the wrath of a righteous God. Christ did the same thing. He turned aside the wrath of the righteous God. So Moses appealed to God's mercy. Christ also appealed to God's mercy. And that's what we see in that in that prayer. But you, you have to know God to be able to appeal to his mercy. Because, you know, we say it all the time. You know, people that don't even read the Bible. Say, oh, the God, the Old Testament is a. Uh, you know, the mean God, you know, he, he he kills and destroy, kills all these nations and does all these bad things. You know, the God of the New Testament is 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 is, is a God of grace and mercy. The God of the Old Testament is uh, angry. You know, they, they haven't even opened their Bibles to read or they have bad hermeneutics or both. They just repeat all the tropes that that that, that people have said that have been easily refuted. We see the mercy of God. Here in the Old Testament. And we see that mercy being pleaded to through the mediation of, of Moses. And so now we see here in the first part of uh, chapter 10. The new tablets of stone that Moses is going to talk about here it says at that time. The Lord said to me. Cut for yourself two tablets of, of stone like the first and come up to me in the mountain and make an ark of wood. Okay. And I will write on the tablets the words that you uh, that were on the first two tablets that you broke. You shall put them in ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood and cut two tablets of stone like the first. He went up to the mountain with the two tablets in my hand and he wrote... Uh, on the tablets in the same writing as before the Ten Commandments that the Lord has spoken to you on the mountain out of the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly and the Lord uh, gave them to me then I turned and came down from the mountain and put the tablets in the ark that I made and there they are as the Lord had commanded me and then he said the people journeyed from um, wherever that is <laughs> and then it says Aaron died and he was buried and Eleazar ministered his priest in his place. You know, so basically, uh, parenthetically, here he's uh, recalling their journey uh, on. And in verse 10, I stayed on the mountain as at the first time, 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord listened to me uh, that time also. The Lord was unwilling to destroy you. And the Lord said to me, Arise, go on your journey, and head at the head of the people so that they may go in and possess the land which he swore to their fathers to give them. So they were now after the recalling of this um, rebellion, reminding them that it is not because of their righteousness. Now that God has established that, now you can go in and possess the land, knowing that what it is not because of your righteousness so he had to he had to basically humble them uh, first so Moses prayer had been answered and the people had not been destroyed 
and the covenant relationship between God and his people was still intact. That's basically what this is uh, saying here. And now they had the opportunity to pursue their destination, which was going in to uh, possess the land. Amen. So now, what does the Lord require of you, Israel? Okay. You see that you're not righteous, that you were not righteous in the wilderness, that God has given this land to possess. He's already given it to you. You go in and dispossess those nations and possess the land. But it's not going to be because of your righteousness, but because of their wickedness. And when you were rebellious, you're rebellious and stiff-necked people. And only because of my mercy, I did not destroy you. Having said all that, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all, excuse me, and with all your soul. And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold to the Lord, your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all the peoples as you are this day. So now he gives them a command. Circumcise. Therefore the foreskin of your heart. And be no longer stubborn. Or stiff necked. For the Lord your God. Is God of gods and Lord of lords. That sounds familiar right. King of kings Lord of lords. The great the mighty and the awesome God. Who is not partial and takes no bribe. That's a sermon right there all in itself, just that one verse. <laughs> he executes right justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. So after the Lord humbles them, he does what? He encourages them. He commands them. So this transition goes from history to exhortation. They, they, you know, we're from recalling the history in the wilderness to an exhortation. What does the Lord require? So he gives five commands. Let's look at these five commands. The main one is to do what? Love. Okay. Fear. He says fear. To do what? Walk. And to, yeah, love is also, and love is the main one. I, I skipped over it, but he says here, fear the Lord, walk in his ways, love him, serve the Lord, 
and keep. And all of this is what? For your good at the end of verse 13. So let's look at those. Fear. Are we to be scared of God? Okay. Yes. It is a holy all for those who can't hear that. We ought to fear God, but not in a worldly type fear where you're scared of him. You're hiding under a rock. Now, the sinner should fear God in that way. Those who are unregenerate, they should fear God. They should fear his what? His wrath, his judgment on them. Fear the fact that they're in darkness. Because that's a terrible place to be on the wrong side of God. You know, people talk about being on the wrong side of history. I don't want to be on the wrong side of God. <laughs> Forget about uh, because, you know, God's history is history. The world tries to rewrite history and redo history. But history belongs to who? God. God's the creator of heaven and earth. He's the sustainer of his creation. So because of that, those who are, are not in Christ, they do have fear of God. They, they fear God. They hate God. As believers, we have an awe of God. That's, that's the fear that he's talking about. Being such awe of God that that all leads to what? Worship. We worship God because we fear him. First thing, fear. And then to walk, of course, we walk uh, in our context. We walk according to what? Walk in the spirit and not feel the sinful desires of the flesh. We just preached on that two weeks ago in Galatians 5. Walk in his ways. We walk in the ways that he has set before us in his word. Walk according to his commandments. And notice the object of the walk. We walk in whose ways? His ways. And not just his ways, all his ways. We cannot do that without being uh, empowered by the Spirit. That's the only way we can walk in his ways is, is with a regenerate heart, being born again. So we are to walk in God's ways. We're not to walk in the ways of the world or walk in the ways of the culture. Or walk in the ways of all the, 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 the trends and fads that exist in our culture. We are to walk according to God's ways. And that walk is going to look different. It's going to be peculiar. Because we are a called out people. So that their walk is not going to look the same as the world. Walking in God's. Remember Israel is amongst who? Pagan nations. That's why God says specifically. Walk in all my ways, all his ways, because his ways are different from the way of the pagan. Of the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Moabite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Hittites and the Moabites and all those other ites, all those other nations. Israel's walk is different because they're walking in the ways of God according to God. And then. Of course, love, the central one, 
Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We adore God. We love him above all. He has all of our affections. We do all to his glory and to do what is pleasing to him. In a small human sense, we try to love one another. You know, we seek their good. We, 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 we do things to, um, you know, to improve them, so to speak. Do things for, for, for their well-being, not for ours. We love God. We, we serve him. Why? Because he is so worthy of our worship. My wife is worthy of my love. And I do whatever I can to uh, pursue that for her. I'm not going to do it perfectly at all, although I try. <laughs> but with God, guess what? We, we, we love him. We, we worship him. We honor him. And out of that love flows obedience. And then serve, of course. Serve him and keep his commandments. Observe them to take note of them and to do them. And this is all again for your good. God's way is always the right way, the best way, the only way. It always is. We notice that, right? When we do things God's way, it always is always for our good. All of us can think back or thinking now, like, man, not doing things God's way, how how those things come to ruin, right? Our culture. From the uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue all the way down. It's trying to build a world. The world's way. And not God's way. And what do we see? It's like chaos. There's no good that's going to come out of not doing life God's way. Not loving the Lord, fearing him, walking in his ways, serving him, and keeping his commandments. You can't build a good world without doing that. As I say all the time, when you try to build a world while at the same time denying the God who created the world, it won't work because it can't work. It's impossible. We as believers have to drill that into our brains you cannot expect the world to work when you try to build it while at the same time denying the God who created it it's, it's impossible people look at wh why do you think things are the way they are that's what the secularists are doing that's what those who deny God are doing they're trying their best to build a world without God it cannot work. Israel, you're not going to possess this land if you're not going to love me, fear me, walk in my ways, serve me, and keep my commandments. It's not going to work. And guess what we're going to see? It didn't work. <laughs> that's, 
they ended up in Babylon and and the Assyrians took the northern tribes and scattered them to no one knows where why because over successive generations after they went in to possess the land successive generations forgot this right here and what happened it didn't go well for them the same happens for us when we don't do things God's way uh, the great missionary Hudson Taylor uh, he was a great missionary to China he said God's work done God's way for God's glory we receive God's blessing and that is so true God's work done God's way for God's glory we get God's blessing Israel that was the same for them and that's the same for us. When we do life God's way, we receive God's blessing. We'll have a better quality of life. I see it all the time when I'm out. Um, I'm a big observer of people. And I'm a, I'm a prayer of people. So I see different situations. I just start just praying like, Lord, you know. Um, when I'm in the store, when I'm out, because I'm always in public, you know, I see things and I just start praying. But I'm just an observer of people, just an observer and a discerner. And look at certain situations and say, man, this is a consequence of not worshiping God. Murder is a consequence of not worshiping God. Think about two people that got killed up on uh, McClellan up there on Mimosa uh, over the last couple of days. Uh, couple of days ago that was because of you don't worship God you don't love God you don't fear the Lord you're not walking in his ways and guess what you're going to have murder and mayhem two girls in Huntsville a week ago killed at a, a birthday party same thing and two of the boys that were involved were teenagers 16 years old and one was 20 and the other one was 19 I, I read stuff like, I read news like that all the time and just you know pray like Lord, but but it's a, it's a result of doing what? Not doing life God's way. It's going to happen. I tell my I tell my boys all the time. Nothing good happens after midnight. <laughs> Pretty much, just don't be out. You know, don't be at no party because people know, and don't be at a party where people are using alcohol because alcohol plus uh, guns don't mix. Don't. You know, hearing shots fired. You want a man? My 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 son's at the daughter. My daughter's at the party. And the girl that got killed in Huntsville, she she just started school there at uh, Alabama and She was from Florida. Going there, you know, going to a birthday party, and she loses her life. Why? You don't do life God's way. You don't obey God. You don't worship Him. You you, you reject God. We see that chaos. We're going to see this in Israel, moving forward. Same thing. Same principles apply. And this shows us also the timeliness. The timeliness of God's word and the truth of God's word. Uh, Nancy Piercy calls it true truth. <laughs> God's word is true truth. And God's word always stands true. His word always prevails. God's truth always prevails. Amen. So 
we just want to land this plane right there. We'll finish the rest of uh, chapter 10 and go into uh, chapter 11 next week. So we're going to close with a, with a short prayer. Lord, your word requires Israel to fear you, to walk in your ways, to love you, to serve you, and to keep your commands and statutes for our good. Lord, you call us to do the same thing. To fear you, to walk in your ways, to love you, to serve you, and to keep your commands. But Father, we can't do any of that if we're not in Christ. If we haven't repented of our sins and trusted in Christ as our Lord and Savior, we can do none of these things. So Lord, my prayer is that those who hear this and they know that they're under your wrath, they know that they are not loving you and serving you and keeping your commands because they can't. It's impossible. Lord, we, I pray that you convict them of their sins and give them repentance, give them saving faith. And Lord, for us as believers, we're not going to do this perfectly, but Lord, we know that you require of us to do the same thing. Help us as believers to continue to fear you, to continue to walk in your ways to continue to love you and serve you and keep your commands. And Lord, also help us to stay humble and see our sins, that we're in constant need of forgiveness. Lord, continue to give us a heart of confession and repentance because repentance is the life of the believer as the great reformer uh, Martin Luther uh, proclaimed. Continue to soften our hearts, Lord, and continue to work in us your will so that we may do what is pleasing in your eyes in Christ's name I pray amen